What's up, everybody, and welcome to Castle Rock Critical. Um, guys, it's the first episode of the new season of Castle Rock on Hulu. Um, we've been previewing it for the last couple of weeks, and we've been looking forward to it for a long time. And today we're going to be covering the first episode titled Severance. Now, I'm joined by uh, by the Motley crew. I've got John. Uh, Hello there. He's our resident purveyor of doom, and he's our you know. What the fuck is that? Y- you're quite negative sometimes, mate. But you're also <laughs> our master of robots. You're our Westworld host. Yeah. Um, just finished that coverage. I like Westworld. You do. You very much like Westworld. Are you looking forward to um, looking forward to Castle Rock? Uh, yeah. I mean, you've made me do this though, haven't you? I, I've bullied you into it. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to get out of this podcast, to be honest. But he loves he loves it really. But yeah, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're also joined by uh, by Emma. Hey guys. Uh, she's our our book nerd, our book geek. She reads a lot. Um, she's read a lot of Stephen King. She's also our host of our Walking Dead coverage. Um, so, Em, you, you buzzing after seeing that season nine trailer? Uh, do you know what? Fucking loved it. Um, I think we should do a preview up. We probably will. And uh, joining us from the upside down, our, our Stranger Things resident, Gareth Evans, all the way down in Melbourne. How you doing, mate? That's very good. Thanks, mate. Yep, good. Very excited to be here. I'm, I'm, I am concerned that we're we're handing out nerd awards though, like seeing as we do a podcast about specifically geek fandom. Yeah, I mean, but you know, books are different, mate. Book book geeks completely different, <laughs> right? <true>. <laughs> so, guys, as I said, this is something we've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, as fans of a lot of Stephen King adaptations, as we mentioned in our preview podcast, we went through some of our favourites, and and we also went through our our favourite Stephen King novels. Mm. This is something that we've wanted to see for a long time. The multiverse of Stephen King interacting in the same space, interacting in the same sort of interweaved story. Mm. John, I'm going to come to you first. Seeing as you are one of uh, the more grounded members of the team. You, you, right, you, okay. you, 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 what do you mean by that? I mean by that, you, you sort of say it like it is. Whereas I'm I'm known as a hype man. You are the hype man. I, I get very excited about things. After watching the trailers and even in the preview, you said you're very excited to see this. And it reminded you of certain shows that you'd seen before, like Eerie Indiana. Eerie Indiana, yeah. Which was, which was a lovely little reference. And, a, some, you know, obviously that's a sort of lighter take than this. But um, <laughs> what was your initial thoughts on the season premiere? Yeah, I liked it. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, obviously the first 10 minutes are... Like, Jesus, what the fuck's happening here? You know, you you, you kill off, like, who you think's going to be the... Mental. You know, the main person of the show, and... Um, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but that was that was a shock. Yeah, well, I was... Uh, I mean, the obvious reference is uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho. Yeah. You know, you, you watch the film following this uh, lead, and then she's just killed off halfway through the film. You're like, well, what the fuck's going on here? Spoiler warning for Psycho. If you, again, if you've not seen Psycho... <laughs> Uh, you're not likely to go and see it now, are you? True. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it didn't feel like cheap or anything, like they were just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, it feels fairly obvious we're going to see quite a lot of him anyway. Mm. It's not like he's just not going to appear again. True. But yeah, uh, I think at that point I was just like, fucking hell, like now I am invested. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and it's that the thing that we like about uh, the dramas that we we followed like you know even game of thrones and walking dead to an extent in its heyday was the fact that no characters are safe you know it, it subverts your expectations about who is going to survive who is going to live or do well and yeah. the way the story twists and turns mm. um 
And I'm just going to get your blueberry rating. Now, for anybody uh, and for everybody listening to us um, and who hasn't listened to any of our previous podcasts, we uh, rate everything out of five blueberries. It's a scale that we've had going back for years, just as friends <laughs> talking about films. And the scale can be quite harsh. Uh, basically, you can have z- no halves. It has to be like one, two, three, four, or five, five being the highest, one or zero being the lowest. No one's ever given anything a zero. Mm. Um, John, what is your blueberry rating for this uh, premiere of Castle Rock on Hulu? Uh, I will give it four blueberries. That's quite five. high for you, mate. It's quite high for you. All right, well, I'll give it two then. No, give it four. Okay, four. We'll take your first answer. We'll take your first answer. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, no, um, I'm uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, I think uh, the pacing of, of, uh, of the episode uh, was interesting. I think yeah. that I'll be keen to see where the rest of the, the series goes, but given that it's a self-contained story. But yeah, as I say, enjoyed it. Yep. Well done. Yeah, good that. Mm. Cheers, mate. <laughs> so the, the the guy who's the most negative is doing. You said it's good. Yeah. So going over to Gareth in the upside down, mate. What do you reckon? I missed out on all the the preamble to this. I didn't obviously. I wasn't here for the um, for the previous show and probably didn't get the excitement built up like you guys did, which was a shame because it's something that is right up my alley. And this first episode definitely uh, has got me hooked. And the reason why is obviously, obviously, it's a it's a Stephen King inspired uh, bit of TV, so it obviously reminds you of a lot of things, and and I love that it's it's sort of immediately kind of taps into um, a lot of things that we've seen before, but a couple of the things that it reminded me of aren't aren't Stephen King related at all. Um, one of the shows that it reminded me of is a show that I don't like very much, and but. But it has certain qualities that I did like. It reminded me a lot of American Horror Story, yeah. and sort of what I hoped American Horror Story would be. Mm. Um, that show didn't work for me personally, but um, but kind of the atmospheric side of things was was really reminiscent, um, and, and that was that was something that that I enjoyed. It also I don't mean to come all Emma Phillips and book geeky, but there were some like. Lovecraftian um, themes in there that I loved as well. There's like this kind of like forbidden knowledge and fear of knowledge that was coming out. You know, the the the, the guy who we think is going to be really important, who Lacey, who obviously tops himself pretty early. Um, he's obviously found something out. He knows something. He knows a deep dark secret, and you want to know what he knows, but then you're also terrified of knowing what he knows because is that what made him do what he did? So there's this there's this intrigue, there's a lot of mystery, and I I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to agree with John. I'm uh, I'm going for four whole blueberries out of five on uh, episode one. Oh, nice one, mate. Yeah, good uh, good um, analysis there. I like the way that you uh, related it to American Horror Story because I definitely think even the director of this episode has directed some episodes of American Horror Story. Yeah. It's evident that the theme of this this show is quite similar and they've talked about how future seasons might be, you know, the, there might be a whole different set of characters, but they're all just living within Castle Rock, which is mm-hmm. obviously very similar to the American Horror Story, um, you know, format, which is I think is a really cool format and something that I, and I enjoy horror stories. So, uh, you know, I definitely see those elements in there. Yeah. Emma, uh, coming to you next as our, as our, book geek as i've said but as nerd. just a nerd, nerd. um Worm. give me your thoughts on the season premiere 
did it live up to your expectations? Because obviously you might have more deeper rooted expectations than, than a lot of us. Maybe you were expecting more Easter eggs or less Easter eggs, or you're expecting to see some more, you know, central characters from the novels appearing. Um, do you know what, actually, I think it was the perfect balance because there are so many huge Stephen King fans. Um, but no, I thought I thought the balance was fantastic. I thought um, you had enough in there that was kind of pop culture references that people who are maybe minor fans of Stephen King would have picked up on. The atmosphere created felt very Stephen King and, and you know, it, it kicked off a quite a lot like um, every kind of piece of work he's ever done, which is something has happened, your sins from the past are being revisited and there's some weird-ass supernatural thing that's kind of lying underneath it. Um, I was intrigued that the cast is great um, and I think that it was a great opening to something that has the potential to be a huge hit mm. for quite a wide mm. audience. Um, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk about it a bit later in, uh, I think, what we're calling King Corner. King Corner, yeah. <laughs> um, there are a lot of fantastic references and some a lot more subtle than others. So I've not read much Stephen King for the last few years, but I started rereading some of the novels which are mainly or solely based within Castle Rock. Mm. And so for me, it's very fresh in my mind. There were some fantastic bits of imagery that very, very small, subtle, but they, they worked really, well for me as a as yeah. a literary fan yeah and so, a blueberry um i'm gonna concur with the uh, general consensus so far and give it four out of five blueberries nice nice so very good scores all around let's you know let's just be honest four out of five blueberries is good rating yeah that's a good rating it's a high rating show um can i just ask is king corner going to be spelt with two k's yeah mate it's well, obviously it, yeah. it obviously is yeah just Come two, on. not three. Come on, you know, classic alliteration. So I'll, I'll round up the thoughts. I mean, I loved it. Um, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. I love the King canon, as it were. Um, the multiverse is it very, something that I'm very excited about, the shared universe. Is that spelt with two Ks That's too? also King spelt with canon? two Ks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, I, just think, I just think they absolutely nailed the tone of the show yeah. in the first episode. <clears throat> I, I, it, it has these dark horrific elements and and horror sequences but it also has a bit of levity in certain moments i think the the sort of palette the color palette they've gone for and everything to do with the town itself just seems seems very unnerving and and it puts you on edge and it makes the town feel like a character um which is massively important when you know the name of the show is the town and the town is supposed to be this cursed place mm. and i just think they've absolutely nailed it in the first episode um obviously it'll be interesting to see if they continue it but I, i'm just so happy with, with this as a pilot i think this is one of the best pilots i've seen for a show i think my favorite pilot ever was arguably either game of thrones season one or westworld season one which i think had an excellent pilot i think this mm. really lays some solid foundations both in character both in like revealing easter eggs from certain novels and 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 highlighting the way that it's going to address the novels and and address the multiverse not in an overt in your face way but in a subtle hey if you know stephen king you might pick up on this and even if you're just a general horror fan you might also pick up on this just because there's been so many adaptations and stuff and there's just so much to analyze with it and i'm so happy i'm 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 a hype man i'm a hype man i'm gonna give it five i'm gonna give it five (laughs) John's laughing. He, he, John, John just can't believe it. But I, I was genuinely... I think you'd given it a five before you'd even watched the episode. There is a part of me that just gets so excited about a show that I, uh, you know, that one we're covering. Yeah. So 
I'm excited to see it for that reason so that we can all get together and talk about it. But I, I honestly do think they absolutely nailed the tone of the show. And and like you said, there's shocks. There's, you know, Terry O'Quinn's character at the start. You know, it, it really surprised me at certain points. And that's why I'm giving it a five, guys. That's why I'm giving it a five. Yeah, well, no, think, no, you go for it. I think you mentioned tone, and, and that's really important because the, the tone of Stephen King is weird normality, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's everyday life that's undercut by something creepy Some, some and supernatural or, or yeah. even something that alludes to be supernatural mm. in some cases. Uh, I, yeah. I, I also think that Stephen King is assumed to be a horror writer. Mm. And as much as his books are, have a, a tone of horror, um, I would say they're actually thrillers. And I think a lot that of them can be. A lot, yeah. a, a lot of them are. I mean, something like you know, Carrie God. is slightly more, you know, and we, we talked about this before. It's slightly more of a horror story. A lot story. of blood. Mm. A lot of blood going on in that. Um, <clears throat> but actually, a lot of the novels uh, or the the short stories that are based in and around Castle Rock are more psychological thriller <coughs> than pure horror. Okay. And I think they've nailed that tone really well. Yeah, mm. I completely agree. I feel like it's. It, I feel like it's also a bit of a throwback. Like it's got a, a bit of a nostalgic vibe to it as well. Hundred percent. There's a lot of it feels kind of. 90s and sort of Salem's Lottie, doesn't it? And, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah. Well, g- given in the in the preview pod, um, we were trying to guess. Oh yes, go, like, trying to the guess the year that it was set. Uh, and we were fucking way off. We were way off, but however, you could say that. So in in the preview podcast, anyone who hasn't listened to our preview podcast, we illustrated that from the trailers. We uh, and judging from the fact that there was only one warden before Terry O'Quinn's character and the one in Shawshank, we we were thinking that this would be set around the late eighties, late late seventies, early eighties. Mm. Now, I don't think we were that far off because there are elements of this show which obviously do take place in the <clears throat> early nineties. Yeah, um, I was very surprised, and I think the color palette has thrown us off a bit there and the way they've graded it and the way they've made the town look very dreary very old school oh yeah and Um, some of the clothes that people are wearing I mean some of the clothes are terrible I mean you know 2018 obviously London is is the fashion capital of the world so you know John's wearing his suit as he does this dressed out all in Armani (laughs) and a fedora yeah you would look quite good in a fedora actually yeah Mm. thanks very much I'm just just, I'm just visualising that yeah just a fedora (laughs) no (laughs) um so I think it's time to move on to uh, to the to the main podcast, and I just want to reference up front that there is um, an official uh, podcast for um, Hulu's Castle Rock, um, and it's great. Basically, they they have insights that uh, you know we can't have access to. They they speak to um, the, the the showrunners, Cujo. <laughs> they speak to they speak to Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason, the shoot the showrunners. They speak to Cujo, obviously. Bizarre episode, that Yeah, that's a really weird one. Um, But they also get to speak to some of the cast, and they're short, succinct podcasts that if you want some insight into the actual creation from the creators, I think it's a really good thing to listen to, and I think it's actually a good companion podcast to listen to with this, Mm. because we will be listening to that as well, obviously, because it's like listening and reading interviews from from, you know, cast members and the creators. So it's valuable information for anyone reviewing the show. Um, We do things a little bit differently. Um, We like to have a drink, just a couple. Just a few. Um, and, you know, when we're very honest with our opinions. Um, if we like something, we'll sing its praises. If, if we don't like something, we will, we will let you know that we don't like something. Yeah. Um, it could be we love one episode of the show, we hate another episode of the show. That's just the way we do things. And the way this, this podcast is going to work is, is we're going to go scene by scene. 
because it's a lot more straightforward narrative than, say, a Westworld, which deals with ridiculous timelines and yeah. and crazy alternate realities at times. <laughs> it makes no sense, to be honest with you. Um, but this this is a lot easier to follow. So we're going to go scene by scene. And then at the end of every single week, we're going to have King Corner, which is our, uh, our separate section where we're going to reference every Easter egg that we can find. And with help from Reddit and, you know, um, discussion groups. Easter eggs, because I'm sure there'll be others that we find later on that we just haven't picked up on. Mm. Um, And we're going to reference what we found and how it relates to any of the Stephen King novels. So that's how we're going to work every single week. Um, Later on in the season, we will uh, be bringing in some feedback options for people to write in and leave some feedback. But as we start out, first three episodes, we're just going to go off our opinions and then we'll bring in the fan perspective afterwards. Mm. So if you guys are ready, I think we should crack on. Let's do it. Absolutely. So interestingly and very predictably, the show opens with a cold open, a very cold open. Uh, 1991 really alluded to and um, we see that there is a a, what we believe to be a police officer at this point uh, loading a gun in a car and we hear over the radio um, you know uh, chatter that uh, Henry Deaver has been missing for 11 days and uh, obviously it's no longer a rescue operation more just like a search and find the body sort of operation which is what we get over the next you know minute or so we get Mm. um Officer Pangborn, who is a very important uh, Stephen King character, and we'll come on to that in a later scene. Um, but we get him searching for for Henry's body. He settles down, has himself some coffee, as you would, and then... Lazy. A very, very... I mean, I'm scared of the woods anyway. I'm going to be honest with you right now. The woods, for me, ever since Blair Witch or anything like that, is terrifying. Yeah, terrifying, mate. Absolutely terrifying. Um, horrible noise comes out of nowhere he's looking across the frozen lake there's nothing there horrible noise comes around he looks back and who's standing there henry diva so creepy as fuck yeah very creepy um the noise itself for me was extremely unsettling i'm gonna throw this to john first (laughs) yeah what do you think what do you think mate or of that of that open yeah that open it's a cold open it's very i think it's quite it sets a very strong tone early on yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not a massive fan of the 1991. It's kind of like, well, do I need to know this? I think you do. They never mention it again. They never go back to it. So it's nice to have it there as just a footnote. Yeah. You might not need it. You are completely right. They could have weaved it into maybe um, the radio I- comms or something. You know, they could have done it in a bit more elegant way. That is picky. That is so picky. Yeah. What? What? You don't like the fact that they tell you what year it is? No. Oh, hold on. Fucking hell. One, it's my opinion. Two, you've not let me finish. So anyway, I don't like the year 1991. <laughs> no. Um, Shit year. But like the cold open in general. Yeah. Um, I, I, I watched it and just thought, well, what's going on here? Mm. What is going on? Mystery Who box. Who is this person? JJ Abrams is executive producing this show and he is the master of the mystery box format. So <clears throat> obviously going all the way back to Lost. I am going to reference Lost. I do it in every podcast, but... Funny enough, we cover a lot of podcasts that J.J. Abrams oversees and his company, Bad Robot, oversee. So you're getting a very lost vibe from this opening. One, you've got the mystery box element already, you know, just there right in front of you. Not only that, the noise of the trees is extremely similar to, in the pilot of Lost, the smoke monster noise. Spoilers for Lost. But um, (laughs) you're you're getting these elements straight off the bat. Of Lost, and I know you guys always have a go at me saying, "Oh, stop talking about Lost," but I'm serious. I'm really getting some Lost vibes. Are you, <laughs> Emma, Emma, you getting that? Um, yeah, to an extent. I think that it's very rather than it being Lost vibes, I think it's a it's very J.J. Abrams esque. Mm. Um, 
I thought this scene was, I love a, a cold open. Yeah. And I think it worked really well. Yeah. I think it set the tone beautifully yeah. for the rest of the episode. Um, and this is something I'm not going to bring into King Corner, but there there are some allusions for me to um, a couple of kind of key scenes in the dead zone. Yeah. Um, so Johnny Smith, who is your protagonist. The, yeah, the man, the main man. The main man in the dead zone um, gets his first... Uh, knock into the psychic universe, shall we say, mm. um, by falling over skating on a frozen lake. There you go. So that, for me, was the first moment I went, yeah! I like that. I like that, Em. Go on! <laughs> um, but actually, overall, I thought it, it opened up with, you know, we talk about mystery box, but a lot of intrigue. I actually thought the time setting was interesting because we talked about when we thought it was. Mm. And that jump to, to 27 years later really set the scene for me because... Um, I think coming out off the back of watching Westworld and trying to work out where the hell we were in time, mm. that was just a quite a nice, easy, mm. tidy experience. So yeah. maybe that was just why I felt that was quite useful, so I didn't have to think about it. But overall, great opening scene. Bringing in uh, Alan Pangborn in the first opening scene yeah. was perfect. Because he, he is the one character that runs through every story that is in and around Castle Rock. Yeah. We'll, you know, There's a lot more detail to discuss around that, but yeah. that just for me, gave it the gravitas it needed because I was slightly concerned that mm. it would have the wrong references or mm. it would bring stuff in <laughs> that actually wasn't related to this just because it's part of the Stephen King canon. Yeah, so exactly. that, that was great. And I think, yeah, great cold open. And Gaz, I'm going to bring you in for this next point here. And I'm, I'm going to move on to, um, to Terry O'Quinn and his character. Obviously, Terry O'Quinn, sorry for the lost references, lost references again. He is Locke in Lost. That's probably his most famous role that I can think of. He's excellent as that character uh, associated with J.J. Abrams because of that and probably in this show because of that because he is great and he he is playing a character called Dale Lacey Warden Dale Lacey as we see him at the start so this is back this is now in 2018 in the present Um, he's getting ready he's making breakfast for his what seems like his blind wife Um, and we get the sense that this is his retirement the way they're talking the way they're interacting it sounds like this is his going away party you know, everything seems normal. Obviously, as soon as I'm seeing all this, I'm thinking, it's not normal. Not much of a fucking party, was it? Not much, no. He he decides to... And this is, as John, me and John, you know, we were talking off, off microphone. Um, <laughs> one of the most elaborate suicides I've ever seen. Um, yeah. He, like, guillotines himself with a car and a noose. Um, and... It completely subverts our expectations because the, the the trailer material that we've seen leading up to to this episode, uh, and he narrates the, the trailer, you know, mm. this place, the main trailer that was pretty much released. Yeah. And you even joked about it, John, in the preview podcast. You were like, what if this guy just fucking dies in the first episode? Mm. How mad oh, is that that you said that? Yeah, well, I say... You've got an inkling. Gaz, what did you think about the whole Terry O'Quinn, Dale Lacey suicide? <laughs> Well, there are a few things with him, with with Dale Lacey, with Terry O'Quinn. Um, he's got he's got a really likable face, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's been shaping out of clay, Gareth. He does. Like you, but you want to like him. He's he's the sort of person that, like, I don't know. You could like a um, like a Brian Cranston. Yeah. You know? He's just got a face that you you like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. It's quite a shout. I'm going to get behind this guy. And he, I mean, obviously he, he he ties that noose. He's looking, he's looking pretty. Um, I mean, he's deep in thought. 
then this dog appears. Oh yeah, boy! <laughs> and and he sees the dog, and maybe you guys know more than I do. Ooh. But at that point, I um I thought, well, look at this. He's seen a nice little fluffy dog. <laughs> He's going to change his mind. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, the exact I agree. Same thing. Did anyone else think, I mean, in England, we have a dog called the Dulux dog. The Dulux dog. And he's in all the adverts yeah. for paint and, like, home repairs. Um, sorry for everyone in America who's probably listened to this because, obviously, probably most of our audience is American. But um, it was it's such a lovable dog. I was just sitting there going, oh, that's a lovely, the Dulux, the Dulux dog. And then uh, he was like, nah, fuck it. Fuck you, dog. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to absolutely rip my head off. He gave the dog a little smile as well. He did, like yeah, he saw yeah. The dog. He gave him a little smile. I was like, "All right, and the noose is coming off." Oh no, he's 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 cut his head off with a car and a rope in bizarre fashion. What I thought he was going to do is go and put the dog in the car and then just drive it off the cliff anyway. <laughs> Jesus, man! Fucking hell! This is why I call you the negative one. <laughs> You're thinking some dark soothsayer stuff. of doom. Well, um, what 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 do we think the dog means? Anyone got any sort of inkling as to as to what this signifies? Could it just be a little nod to Cujo? Could it Cujo be... two, Cujo two, the Dulux dog, the friendly, <laughs> the friendly Cujo, anti rabies. Yeah, yeah, anti rabies. <laughs> just regular there. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that um, it will probably make sense eventually, but at the moment, it probably is a slightly incongruous nod to Cujo um, because we're uh, yeah. really not that kind of dog. Mm. Um, but I think it's maybe it's a bit like you know the white wolf kind of thing. I don't know. It'll have some meaning later on. I, I'm, I, I think we might see more interactions in flashbacks. Obviously, we know there's mm. we might see Terry O'Quinn in flashbacks from from watching this episode and the way it ends. Um, but I'm hoping we see a bit more interaction between them. There, there seems like there's something going on there. Maybe he's been visiting this place for mm. a while. That's a stray dog that he keeps coming across. Very interesting. Um, obviously, we're you know it's a pilot. So it's setting up characters, you know, storylines left, right and centre. We move quickly on to probably, I'd say, the most central um, reference of the show and, and arguably the, one of the most central locations of the show, Shawshank Prison. Um, it's amazing to see it again. I, yeah. You know, ever since, you know, we all love the Shawshank Redemption. We even said in our mm. preview podcast that um, it's one of our favourite adaptations. The way that Stephen King dealt with sort of um, criminal law and, and, and sort of the criminal sort of psyche and things like the Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption are very influential in um, cinema and literature. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was a, just a short story um, by mm. Stephen King, but the mm. film, obviously, both the Green Mile and the Shawshank Redemption are, are extremely um, important moments in cinema. I, mm. I, I think the Shawshank Redemption, definitely Frank Darabont's uh, adaptation. Yeah. Um, we get something that I think is a completely new twist on the on the Shawshank genre, and and I don't mean to sound like a sexist here, but to see a woman character in amongst the in amongst the Shawshank narrative, I think is extremely important because we've only think about all the the, the times you've seen Shawshank. Uh, it's it's all male characters. The only female character that there is is Rita Hayworth on a fucking poster. <laughs> So to have a female warden now, I think is an extremely interesting turn of events. Do you know what then? I actually, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, you know, Shawshank and the correctional services are a very male dominated 
profession or environment. Um, both, you know, it is an all male prison. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. But also, you know, it's it's very interesting to see her come in, and actually, she's not likable at all, which I think no. is a very brave move. Um, it was well done, and I think it's also a sign of the times. Um, it, it's a great, it's a great way to bring it into, you know current day yeah I, th- I think it's a great choice i think it's a good choice I, I mean i would argue that it might even not be a deliberate decision i, mm. I don't yeah. i don't see it as being particularly important but um but i think emma's absolutely right in that it's it's a sign of the times like it, it brings it into the modern era and um and that's important because that's that's a i think probably a big part of castle rock as a whole is to try and bring a lot of these stephen king stories into the modern era yeah that's a really interesting point, Gaz, actually, um, because a lot of them are, like, I mean, The Dead Zone is set in the 70s, um, and a lot of them are a, a lot older because, obviously, he's been writing for a huge amount of time, and I hadn't thought about it like that. It's a really interesting way to put it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, we get our first, uh, we'll come on to it again in King Corner, but we get a, a nice little Easter egg here where the guard is explaining, you can still see the bullet hole where Warden, enough of that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Like, you know, you get that kind of sort of, I don't want to, overtly give you these easter eggs it's yeah, like yeah, little yeah. snippets it's quite sort of have a little peek but we're not going to reveal the whole thing it's just yeah. an element of history that mm-hmm. they're touching upon like a tour guide going around a city yeah, going yeah, oh yeah. look there's a bullet hole there oh i want to look at something else now <laughs> what sort of tour is this it's um <laughs> tour of berlin after world <laughs> war Two. no joking um but no um i've done that tour so um but yeah it, it, it <laughs> We then get introduced to another character, Officer Zaleski, who... One Officer Molesty. Officer Molesty. Now, that was obviously Terry O'Quinn's character, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> we kept a guy in a cage, John. That is true. Yeah. Obviously, that means that's what it was. Well, I yeah. mean, I would think that that would be my first go-to, but we'll come on to that. So yeah. Zaleski seems to be one of the good guys. You kind of, you kind of, you kind of rooting for him already. He's like, ah, yeah. Zaleski. Hey, Zaleski. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you're, kind, you're kind of invested in him. Um, he mentions that, uh, you know, that the warden, the former warden, Dale Lacey, kept uh, a whole section of the prison unmanned and just abandoned. And they've got obviously overcrowding at the moment. And, and, and you know, the new warden's like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, what's going on with that? Go clear that out. Let's, let's have a clear out. I yeah. mean... That is very lazy. That is lazy. Well, very lacy. No, oh. I'm just... Oh. Oh. Um, Punnage. And this is where we get our first horror sort of sequence really our real real first horror sequence of the show where uh Zaleski's going down there with his mate who just gives up and sits on a bed weird um <laughs> and he's gone off on his own in the dark the stereotypical sort of you shouldn't be doing that mate come on let's all be honest mm. you know that's a terrible decision yeah. every time we watch a horror film we're like terrible decision can you think of a more terrifying place though than an abandoned section of a prison to Hell go no. for a nap Nah, that'd be awful, mate. I, I was just sitting there That's going... ridiculous. Yeah, I was just sitting there going, what's he doing? Like, just get your mate up, say, stop being a lazy fucker, come and help me. Because <laughs> I don't want to go around on my own. He goes around on his own, obviously. And uh, he discovers, after a little bit of a tense, you know, build-up, he discovers a human down there. <gasps> that <gasps> moment yeah. scared the fucking crap out of me. It was quite scary. It was it well was- built up. It was amazingly shot, but bloody Nora, that was horrendous. Bloody Nora. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> okay, how I said yeah. it. Yeah. I've got, Who says I've that? I've got a tip for you. This is this is something that works every time, right? When you're watching a horror film and you know that something terrifying is about to happen, they're going to try and make you jump. Hold your breath. Hold your breath, yeah, and you won't jump. 
Like, it works. It's amazing. Oh, Gaz, that's great advice. That's because you've passed out. Yeah, because you die. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so we get the reveal of arguably the second most central character of the season mm-hmm. um, and easily the most mysterious character. And that's saying something considering our main protagonist later on has a lot of a mysterious past. Mm. Um, Bill Skarsgård's character, just titled The Kid. Um, he is just titled The Kid. He is uh, just a mysterious weird looking guy uh, <laughs> he is weird isn't he he is uh, weird Bill Skarsgård he I is think weird he has, he has a haunted look yeah haunted unnerving creepy big eyes unsettling that's the way I'll I describe it. captivating him. though captivating as well in a way what in like a gorgeous sort of way or... you just keep looking at him yeah he's I can't stop looking at him I'll be honest I can't he's like um uh, but no wonder he turned into Pennywise. Like, yeah, he's been locked in a cage for. Oh yeah, there you go. Years. Who says it isn't Pennywise, Gaz? Oh. Oh. Who knows? Um, so we we get our first introduction of the kid. It seems like he doesn't understand what's going on or what a shower is, which is kind of weird. He's been down there for what seems like a long time. There's about. I don't know. I know you know that game at like fairgrounds in America that you kind of perceive where they have how many jelly beans are in this jar, how many cigarettes are in that can. Yeah. I have no idea. About like, a week's worth. He's been down there for a long time. He's even fingernail clippings. There's weird stuff going on. He must stink. He must be rancid. It's yeah. Cujo times ten, and you love Cujo, John. I do like Cujo. Yeah. Yeah. But a very dirty dog. He's more sedate than a Cujo, though. Hmm. He's not Sudoku. Like, Sudoku, maybe. Sudoku. Um, <laughs> um, so we get a lot of, uh, you know, toing and froing with the guards, like, you know, saying, oh, use the shower. They're trying to interrogate him. He's not saying anything. The warden is like, we, we can't say anything to anyone because if we do, then I'm fucked. It's my first day on the job, and I've discovered a weird sex fetish dungeon, mm. which our old warden was doing, is a public relations nightmare. Um, <laughs> so yes, selfish, isn't very, it? Very, honestly. Straight to PR. Yeah. She is right, though. What's wrong with the warden's Shawshank? Can we just get someone that's like a bit like <laughs> some moral fibre, for fuck's sake? Yeah. Yeah. Have um, the kid run it. So she goes to interrogate him because obviously, you know, she'll get an answer. Um, Henry Matthew Diva. That's the only three words he says. Mm. Um, and that's who he's asked for. And one of the guards is like, that's not Henry Matthew Diva. It's a long story. And we cut to our main protagonist in his element. And he is a criminal lawyer mm. um, defending someone on death row. That seems to be his 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 line of work. Yep. I love this scene. Mm. Now, we've mentioned our boy Andrew Andre Holland before. Moonlight, Moonlight Man. Mm-hmm. He is awesome in that film. I know he's only like he's not the main character, but he's easily you know supporting actor in that film. Um, he delivers this little dialogue and this courtroom speech very well. And for me, this scene and the subsequent scenes with him talking to the woman that he was trying to defend about her um, life sentence and her last supper and all of that sort of interaction, for me really nailed him as you know this is an outstanding actor who is going to carry us through this season that opening court scene where you see him was fantastic and like you say subsequent scenes he's playing it really well i'm intrigued by him Mm. i'm intrigued by his past which Mm. obviously becomes something that we want to talk about um i think he's going to be great and i think he's a fantastic central character i think as a protagonist he he has the right amount of intrigue, morality, dark background, mystery, yeah. and charisma. 
Charisma is a very good word, Em, because mm. I tell you something, he is oozing that stuff. Yeah. Do you reckon? Hundred percent. Yeah, I do. For me, he is just he just adds so much weight to a character just from that first scene and the subsequent scenes, I couldn't believe how much weight he'd given to someone who we'd only seen as a little kid on a frozen lake at the op- in the cold open. When he's having a chat with um the lady he was who he was defending. Yeah, the the lady who acts him off the screen. She's incredible. She's incredible. She's in a lot of things. I can't remember her name. Sorry yeah. about that. But the, the moment when she uh, is given the lethal injection and he is revealed to be the only witness there, which is very sad because obviously she's very old. She's like one yeah, of the yeah. oldest people on death row or something and he's mm. the only witness. And then it doesn't work. And he goes back and he's slamming that chair on the on the glass pane. Yeah, very the, unprofessional. Very unprofessional. But that's why, you know, <laughs> that's the moment for me where I was like, you, you know, he's very like charismatic and just that is that, that charisma well it's it's something isn't it well, something john, john no, i agree that's something. more emotion i've seen from you in, in the last three years mate oh well, yeah but <laughs> i don't think i'm mental and trying to smash a window is charisma john let let me ask you this right when he's giving his speech in court right i'll tell you what i had no idea what any of the evidence was yeah or what the crime was but i was like fuck yeah great point let her off no, I, but I didn't. Yeah, but John, you're negative, mate. You're in the jury. Well, no, no, no. You but... want to get out of there. You're thinking, oh, the longer I'm sat here, if we don't get a unanimous decision, it's game. Oh, I'm going to have to be here. I'm going to stay in a hotel. I want to go home. I want to watch my football. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're just negative with it, mate. Well, they wouldn't put you up in a five-star hotel, let's be honest. No, three-star That's best. what I'm used to. Um, but no, like, okay, so go back to American Crime Story and... Uh, mm. You know, Horace. oh, crime story, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Johnny Cochran, you know, that is charisma. No that's, way, that mate. is that is a charismatic lawyer. He is incredible. In fact, all all the lawyers are. Um, <laughs> all the lawyers, all the lawyers uh, in that show are. But like uh, this, he didn't uh, ooze charisma for me, mm, uh, and, and he almost it's almost like he's acting <clears throat> as if he is a lawyer that is used to losing. That's such an interesting take. And mm, one that is. the three of us don't share. But it's very interesting. Well, that's why you're here, John. You, you you ground us sometimes and make us think about alternative options that we don't well, really he's think He's a wanker, about. right? He's a fucking <laughs> wanker. Can I, uh... Uh, but the, the guy himself, I quite like him. Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. And um, go on, Em. I was going to say, can I give you a little tidbit? You can give us a tidbit. I mean, is it a King Corner tidbit? Because I like to save these things for the end. No, it's a tiny tidbit because it's not big enough for uh, for King Corner. But I think it's worth talking about. So uh, the woman who allegedly acts Andre Holland off screen. Yes. Mm. uh, Phyllis Somerville. She plays a character called Leanne Chambers. Chambers is a surname that is used throughout the King canon. Oh, yeah. uh, Both including Chris Chambers from The Body, a.k.a. A.K.A. Stand by me. Stand by me. The adaptation, yeah. Um, and Jake Chambers yeah. from the Dark Tower series. Okay, that's your that's your tidbit. Well, that's very good. That's cool. Very, yeah. I, like that. I like that. I did not know that, and I, I'm very appreciative. I mean, mm. uh, that sounded like a King Corner piece of information, but we'll let it go right now. Save that for King Corner next time. No joking. Mm. Thank you very much, Emma. <laughs> can I can I just say we would be remiss if we didn't just go back for a second to the looks um, of Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Because we haven't mentioned the fact that he looks a lot like a young Steve Buscemi. Yes! 100%. Yeah. It's important to note that during this episode, uh, the use of flashbacks is excellent, in my opinion. They, mm. they keep cutting quite abruptly to Henry's memories about him getting found by Officer Pangborn. Yeah. Now... You know, and it comes up at the bottom. It says 1991 again. <laughs> it does not say 1991 <laughs> again, John. They, they, they don't need to spell it out. But it... John, 
John just loves Westworld so much. He hates it when anything shows you hate. <laughs> you absolutely hate it when there's something like straightforward and easy to say. Yeah. Um, but we get the the scene um, where Alan is talking to Henry as he's, he's driven him back to his house, and he said like, "It was you've got no frostbite. It was minus forty out there. How have you where, have you been inside? What's going on? Do you know about your father?" All this sort of questions and, you know, Henry's having none of it. He's saying nothing. Mm. Um, and then we get a weird sort of reveal that he's holding like a little figurine. This is, it's it's really hard. It is really hard at this point without more more information to, to make any predictions. Um, but I will give you one thing that this kind of alluded to in a, in a way. It's nothing, nothing groundbreaking. But this... Also, there were a lot of kind of Stranger Things vibes yeah. in mm-hmm. this. And it sort of reminded me of like the little Demogorgon figurine. Maybe it's maybe he's crafted a, a monster or like an evil character or something that he's he's come across. I don't know. We don't we don't know enough. No, yet, but it was um... I like that reference, Gaz. I like that reference. Mm. The idea of this little miniature figurine representing maybe the big bad of the season. That's a very good very good analogy there and one i hadn't well, that thought can't of. happen again can it well no but as we said in our stephen king uh, stephen king podcast as we said in our <laughs> stranger things podcast um stephen king is a, a huge huge massive influence on stranger things we've also referenced how stephen you know how stranger things was a reference on the the latest it film because they moved it from the late 50s early 60s to the 80s to make it more sort of you know that sort of nostalgic element that that we know that audiences are very yeah. into at the moment and that started and it said this film is set in the 80s yeah it said so it said again. 1982 some sometime in the 1980s yeah ish <laughs> ish maybe um <laughs> Back to Henry in present day, he gets a call from our from our good cop, Zelensky, who, you know, I like him. I like, I like the cut of his jib. The only one with morals in Shawshank. Mm. He gives him a call, sort of an anonymous call, and says, you know, someone's asked for you. Um, I have, And he's like, I have no clients. They're all dead. Morbid. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Poor, he's having a bad Sounds day. Sounds like something John would say. It does sound like something John would say. You're right. It's a, it's a very bad day. Um, well, he's just obviously not very good at his fucking job. Like, it's what I'm talking about. In the state of Texas, is hard, man. They want to see people fry. I don't know <laughs> if you're from Texas. I do not say that is your views. I was just joking. Yeah. It's the way that it's perceived around the world. He tells him it's at Shawshank, Castle Rock, Shawshank, beckoning Diva back to his roots. And this brings us up to a character who... We kind of get the inkling for in this first episode with a scene that happens later on that might and the way she acts is maybe intrinsically linked to Henry's character. And that is the character of Molly Strand, who we see going to meet who I'm calling stereotypical teenager number one, Mm. um, pick up some some drugs of some some description. Um, She's wearing cool shades. She's looking pretty cool. I kind of get the feeling she's a bit like of a comic relief character. And I know, Emma, you said before the show had aired that you were quite interested in this character because mm-hmm. of the way she was portrayed in the trailers. What are your thoughts after seeing her? I mean, we see her pick up the drugs. She then goes into town and sees Henry and she acts very sheepish, like hiding behind her dashboard as she drives around the corner so she he doesn't see her so we get the in, mm. the impression that she knows who this guy is mm. so um yeah i was really intrigued by the character of molly strands um, and melanie linsky it's been yeah. a couple of things um yeah. including 
a minor Stephen King adaptation. Nothing that any of us has seen, I think. Um, but I'm even more so now having watched uh, this. And there are some things I will be raising in King Corner nope. with regards to Molly Strand. Nope. And some very, very interesting references uh, to one of, I think, the best books set in Castle Rock in the Stephen King canon. Um, having said that, um, she's mad, isn't she? She does she's seem mad. She's having a rough time. Yeah. I oh, mean, she does me a she does your head in? Yeah. Just in the first scene? Yeah. Why? No, I mean, just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not a fan. You're not a fan? Honestly. Might change in later episodes, I, though. I, I well, do maybe, think... maybe, but I mm. don't know. She just does me head in. See? I do think that these two bits that we've just talked about as well, you know, the call from Shawshank and seeing um, Molly Strand are a really nice way to tie us straight back into the trailer. They're not making us wait. Uh, do you remember, you know, one of yeah, the, yeah. The, the the kind of first really intense um, full-length trailer brought has been referenced predominantly in mm. this first episode, which mm-hmm. I think is a really good thing to do. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, it's as we said, the trailer didn't give too much away. The trailer seems to have just revealed information in the first episode or a lot of information in the first episode, which is great. I mean, it means that there's completely loads of mysteries to solve and nothing really given away yeah, off the bat. Henry obviously uh, departs the bus. He's arrived back in Castle Town. We then get... Castle uh, Town. Castle, Castle Rock Town. <laughs> uh, Castleton. Um, he's walking down the street. He's, you know, nervous. He looks a bit nervous, bless him. Mm. He's, out, he's, he's back in Castle Town. <laughs> doing a musical number. Um, he gets called Killer by some absolute weirdo just standing there staring at him. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was weird. Kind of like the way uh, John... Just stands on the street on a Friday night after a few too many beers and heckles people, wouldn't it, mate? I fucking would do if I saw him. Would you? Yeah. I'd go, you know, why is it that every fucking person that you're representing ends up dead? You're yeah. shit at your job, mate. Well, so in theory, absolutely you're brutal. A but I, and he got no charisma. So I think um, this bit also for me seemed like it was alluding to something else. And, you know, we, we later then find that out. And, and I thought that was really well done because yeah. I mean, that guy was a douchebag. Yeah. Well, you, you hear in this voiceover from um, the one of the <laughs> one of the Shawshank guards talking to, I think it's Zelensky, that, that Henry Diva is perceived to have killed his father. Like his father was found like um, with his back broken or whatever. And mm. uh, like... And, and then Henry obviously appeared in, in the woods 11 days later. It's all very suspect. And mm. everyone in the town sort of believes that he is responsible for the death of his father. Um, which yeah, would, rightfully so. I mean, you, well. you, you would, would, think, you that. would think that. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. Well, I don't know. I don't think you would. I think that's wrong. I, I think I didn't think that. And I thought it was just a bit harsh. You fell off the cliff and then Henry got kidnapped by... He was missing know, for some... 11 days. It looks like he just run off after killing his dad. Yeah, true that. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got... Too trusting. Yeah, John's the new defence, uh, no, the new prosecution for against Henry Diva. Wow. Bags Bags of shit criminal defence. Yeah, <laughs> um, he returns home to find Sissy Spacek, who is playing his mother. Mm. Um, Love that. And obviously, we mentioned in the preview podcast, Sissy Spacek. To anyone who doesn't know, was the original Carrie in the nineteen seventy six adaptation of the book. Um, great, great film. Um, I prefer it to the newer version, for sure. Um, and we learn that, that she has some form of early onset Alzheimer's potentially yeah, or yeah. dementia, yeah. which is kind of like probably one of the most scary diseases out there, to be honest with you, I, I, I can think of. he She doesn't recognise her own adopted son. Mm. We learn that he is adopted, um, you know, to two white parents, which I can imagine, maybe in a town like Maine, Castle Rock, that's quite a big 
deal. Yeah. She asked him to go get his chainsaw. She thinks he's there for the garden. <laughs> I mean, that was a bit insulting. Then she's like, oh, don't worry. We were all immigrants once. I was like, sorry. And she goes, no, no, it's fine. Because did you know I adopted a black kid? And he's like, yeah, me, you f- what? He's like, no. oh, geez. He's having a bad time, isn't he? he mm. He's lost all of his clients. Um, lost. Well, they're dead. They're dead. Yeah. Um, unless they come back after one lethal injection oh, and they get yeah. killed again. Yeah. Um, his mum doesn't remember who he is. He's hated in the town that he grew up in. He's having a very bad time. Well, it's just one guy that shouted killer. Just one, but you can imagine. <laughs> he didn't even really shout it. He just sort of went, killer. Hey, killer. <laughs> hey. Get out of Castle Town. <laughs> get out of Castle Town right now. <laughs> I've had enough of you. you. So I think that's quite a sad turn of events for him that that, mm. that 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 you know the only parent he has left his his mother um has this crippling horrible disease mm. um and he's there like you know when he enters the house he the, the house is almost burning down because the hob's on you know the, the smoke's going because she left it on the hob and yeah. he goes upstairs to find none other than alan pangborn now Whoa. i mean alan pangborn we've mentioned him we, we mentioned him. He, he comes downstairs. We he was the one who found Henry <laughs> Diva when he was when he was a child, and he's played excellently by Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn is yes. one of my favourite actors. He, he is, is unbelievable. His voice is gravelly mm. and excellent, and every time he's talking, you just sexy. Get, yeah, he is sexy. for an old man. He's, he's a bit dilfy. He, he's he's dilfy. he's quite ripped, and and I hate to talk about the show all the time because I do, but. If you haven't seen The Leftovers, please go watch it. I think he is excellent in that show. He plays a very similar sort of mysterious character. Um, and it's just brilliant. Go check it out. But Scott Glenn, absolutely genius here. And the moment he comes into the room and has this sort of conversation with Henry, you get two heavyweight actors, I think, of this show really going oh, wow. at each other. Is it weird that... There's this much friction between these two characters when he rescued him as a kid and and seemingly saved him. So obviously it's weird if you walk into your house and your mum's having sex with Pangborn. Weird. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, Just having com- a shower. Comforting. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. Well, he does say they enjoy each other's company. Just out the shower. Yeah. yeah, but enjoying each other's company could be after you know. shagging your mum. <laughs> <laughs> He actually says we enjoy each other's companionship. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's pretty vague, but it does allude to something a little more. But you're absolutely right to bring this up as a question. Why Why does he hate Pangborn so much? I mean, there's obviously a reason and it, it will play out, I'm sure. But, um, but it is very much a point of intrigue at this point. 100%. Because, yeah, he, he, he rescued him from days out in a, a main winter which isn't pleasant by any stretch of the imagination mm. minus 40 and minus 40 mate minus 40 i mean you know p- pleasant to go and visit but you don't want to spend 11 days outside in it and um and for some reason he seems to have there seems to be a huge amount of tension there uh, and it's not just related to his mum it's it's obviously something that's existed before yeah 100% but. but it's also do you do you not feel like it's two sided they seem to hate each other Correct. it's yeah. not yes. it's not yes. just henry Good it's point. pangborn too mm. yeah there's something very uh, confrontational about their exchange here and i as i said i i think that andre holland's doing a great job and i've already said i love uh, you know pangborn 
as a character already just from this exchange i i think this could be this could be good this could be the mm. the central tug of war in the season potentially <laughs> i mean they're very yep. opinionated and very different in in their stances on things and mm. i'm i'm excited to see it develop i have to say yeah. um and you know we're going to come on to pangborn uh, in the King Corner section. Yeah, boy. So we'll, we'll move on for now. Um, Henry goes to Shawshank where he got the anonymous tip off that um, there was a prisoner that wanted his representation. He doesn't know his client's name and then therefore gets sent to the warden. The warden and him have a frank conversation. They basically, it's a game of chess conversation, isn't it? It's, you know, oh, Game of Thrones political manoeuvring. I like what you're thinking there. Um, and the warden flatly says oh this is a prank this is an absolute prank i'm really sorry you've flown all this way two thousand miles i've wasted your time um but you know <laughs> maine's very lily white you know that the guards only earn nine dollars an hour don't worry about it don't worry about it. it's just a prank sorry mate that lily white comment really got me did it to all the racism behind it As, and, you, and you're you're a main resident aren't you for years <laughs> you just moved over to london london recently I'm joking. I quit. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. The warden, we already question her moral fibre. She, she's flat out just lying here about this guy. And then I think it's going to come and bite her in the fucking ass at some point. But um, so. they make terrible, it seems that the wardens in Shawshank just make terrible decisions. Like, you know, going back to the original adaptation of the, of the, of the film and referenced earlier in this, in this episode, and then Terry O'Quinn's character obviously makes some fucking weird decisions. Mm. And she's already making weird decisions. It's like, come on, man. Let's have a bit of... If someone was good in this town, maybe, maybe some weird shit wouldn't happen. <laughs> maybe just everyone's fucked up. I quite, I quite like about this as well as the reference back to the trailers. And, you, you know, you've got that um, voiceover by Terry O'Quinn as, as Dale Lacey talking about how, you know people do some weird shit in this town mm. and it's this town that makes you do it. Yeah. Mm. And we really start to see this. I mean, we're, what, 35, 40 minutes into the episode at this point yeah. mm. and we're already seeing how corrupted yeah, Castle... Sin. I can't say Castle Town, Castle Rock could make you yeah. because of something that lies underneath the foundations of that, yeah. mm. of that town. Mm. So Henry leaves the prison. He's got no joy there. He doesn't know who this prisoner is. He sees Zalewski <laughs> and basically he's like... This is the guy. This is the guy that tipped me off. Bit convenient, but we'll let it go. Yeah, you're the guy that tipped me off. What's your name? Uh, uh, don't even bother. Let's me. just call him Zed for easy. Just call me Zed. Just call me Zed. We get another fascinating exchange between Pangborn and Henry in the evening, where basically Pangborn is trying to defend himself as the former sheriff, saying mm. he he had no association with Terry O'Quinsdale Lacey, really, other than they, they didn't really get on because he was mm. in corrections and he was, you know, it's a whole different world. And then, you know, Henry's like, you know, it's the same rules. It's the same rules what goes on here. This guy kept a guy in a cage, as far as they can see. And sex then, cage. Sex cage, yes, of course. And then Pangborn drops the old, you know where he did it, Right out by the bluff, Castle Lake, where I found you. And at that moment, you're like, oh, fuck. That's that's just a delicious little piece of information. Mm. And it leads on to this excellent finale for the pilot, which I, the final scene for the pilot, which I think really hammers home the tone of the show 
and also the the craft that has gone into making it because I I just think it's very well edited. I think the music builds. It's terrifying. Mm. It's mysterious, and it brings a lot of our central characters into you know into a situation where we're just setting this up so nicely to see what's going to happen. So we have Henry going to the bluff to examine the muriel for. For, for Terry O'Quinn's character, Dale Lacey, yep. where he killed himself. Mm-hmm. You have um, Zed, as we're calling him, our officer down in Shawshank, <laughs> <laughs> um, watching the TV screens and watching Bill, Skargar- Bill Skarsgård's The Kid character. Um, and they're intercut with also Molly Strand revealing that Ooh. she has a missing poster of Henry Deaver. Very reminiscent, I know you're going to come on to it in King Corner maybe, M, but of the It missing posters that we've yeah. seen recently. Um, so we get that she's got a little box of trinkets uh, married to, to to Henry and some sort of weird little timer that she's using there, yeah. which is quite interesting. And that's intercut... Freaky. Freaky. And that's intercut with, 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 with Henry examining the bluff where he was found and Zed, who we are calling... We're just going to call him Zed from now. Yeah. Um, seeing that the, the 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 kid has escaped, and typically, and this is just true of any sort of horror thing, when you see things on security cameras, it's immediately terrifying. Mm. Um, it's also because of that kind of grainy black and white footage, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's very sort in it, jump, very jumpy, air-witchy. black and white, VHS. Yeah, <laughs> very sort of found footage. The ring kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. You know why that is, right? Like, there's there's a legit, there's a genuine, like, phenomenon about this because the only time that you ever see security footage normally, unless you work in security, is like on the news when something bad yeah. has happened, mm. and you you see like the last moments of somebody as they walk past a shop or whatever, and you're like, this is the last time they were seen. So we've got <laughs> so this association yeah. with it, and then additionally to that, it, you know, in every horror film. They will only show you security footage if something creepy is happening somewhere that you're not, mm. and it's approaching slowly. Very good point, Gaz. Very, very, very good point. I like that. It's also just a very good horror trope that we've come to expect, mm. and the use of it here really hammered home for me, as I've said repeatedly during this podcast, <laughs> the tone of the show. Mm. Because let's not forget, this is a show, although it has... Occasional moments of dark humour, occasional moments of, you know, this setup which we've had going on for this episode, it is undercut by these horrific moments. Mm. Um, and that is important to realise that this is a horror show. At its root, this is what it is. The town is cursed. We are getting these supernatural things going on. These, I mean, the, the guards all lying massacred. I mean, that's a horrible image. I mean, that was harrowing. John, as a man with a heart of stone... Surely you were shaken to the core by such a thing. Um, well, no, <laughs> no. Knew it. Well, no. I mean, shaken to the core. Why? Because he's killing off loads of people. I don't give a shit about. Right? Yeah. What about what about uh, if it was know, like if guard he... number three and guard number seventeen? I well, love guard seventeen. I love no, guard seventeen. We all love um, guard seventeen. That's right, Gaz. That is right. Yeah, I mean, that was a great scene, wasn't it? Do you know what I thought yeah. was the best part of that scene was the use of light of him mm. walking through there in the dark and then mm. that flash as the light came on and, and his, his eyes face. and his eyes. Fucking hell, that mm. creeped the hell out of me. Would... He played that so well, and I've not seen it. Um, as much as I'm a fan of Stephen King, I find that story a little challenging. Um, so I've not watched it. Mm. Um, but I can now see why 
they picked Bill Skarsgård to play oh, that yeah. character. Oh, yeah. He is creepy AF. Yeah, 100%. So we're assuming that maybe all the guards are dead, guys. I mean, I'm kind of thinking... Um, I don't want to do the Pennywise reference. I don't want to do it, but they're really heavily leaning on it, I think, um, you know, in this episode. I Manifestations of fear, delusions, what are we thinking? Because if he just kills all the guards, I'm thinking, let's be honest, that, that that's a bit of a, that's a more shocking than Terry O'Quinn being being killed in my opinion because yeah, that's a he- big bold choice yeah, for the first pilot episode. 100% so I'm kind of thinking no way what yeah. are you thinking John I don't know like again I don't I don't really care about... you don't care about the guards no, well, but no, more about the storyline I'm, I'm more concerned about the way that the story's going to go if he's just massacred and escaped from a prison where yeah, Henry's trying to get weird, into the prison it's just very weird so I'm kind of thinking and I don't know what you're thinking about this Pennywise situation uh, and not saying it is Pennywise but I think they're just playing around well, with how, like how many years does it take for Pennywise to pop up every so uh, it's every 27 years is it oh, yeah. right. so 1991 and then 2018 my god <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. I've not even thought about that. Fuck, yeah. Oh, I think shit. it is 27 years. It is, isn't it? Oh, shit, son. Gaz, is that's it? That's what it is. That's what it, that's what it is. Fucking hell. Well, I love it when we have like a eureka moment, but I think they're also just playing with that. But yeah. they could just be like hoodwinking us with that. But that is excellent stuff. Yeah, um, so moving on to the final scene of the episode, we move on to seeing our boy Terry O'Quinn, Dale Lacey, having a conversation with the kid saying that when they find you stubbing out his cigarettes, so we now know it's... And we got confirmed that earlier in this episode that it was his cigarettes. Yeah. Um, ask for Henry Deaver. Henry Matthew Deaver. So that's it. End of the episode. Yeah. Boom. Done. So interesting that we get that scene again. A scene revealing him, telling him that information. So we yeah. know it's an orchestrated plan by Lacey. This is the thing... Um... I think this is kind of a, a big trope as well with like Stephen King stuff is getting somebody to return to mm-hmm. like a small town that they're yeah. from originally, isn't it? And um, you know, it, it's it's important that he's a, that there's a reason for him to come there. I don't know because without knowing without knowing what uh, the kid is and what he can actually do, we don't know we don't know why he wants diva to come and help him like does he want him to help him get out or does he want him to get him to stay i think there's more sinister connotations there than than help necessarily Mm. i think it's a bit more sort of just get diva back to town because he's important for some reason obviously we alluded to the fact he just randomly appeared he must be important for something Mm. like some sort of thing that Quinn as envisaged. I don't know. We need to find out more about Dale Lacey's motivations, to be honest with you. But mm. it feels to me like a bit bigger than a lawyer defending a like victim. So, so you you don't think that he wants Diva to help out the kid? He just wants Diva to be back in Castle Rock. Yeah, I that, that would be my that would be my inkling. Mm. Well, we talked a bit earlier about the the kind of Stephen King esque uh, trope of small town life, mystery, <clears throat> past sins coming back to haunt you. But actually, one of the things that's very common in the stories that revolve around Castle Rock um, is the distinction between from town and out of town, or the outsider and the yeah. one that belongs. And yeah. It's a very odd, close knit community, and I think bringing back somebody who should be from a townie. 
or you know a castle rocky and whatever you want to call them yeah. um but actually is truly an outsider yeah. both in sense of um, he's not been there for ages he's disliked clearly by a lot of people um yeah. but also his outsiderness in terms of race he's adopted he doesn't yeah, actually come from there yeah. and i think that's a really interesting part of it and when we when i finished this episode i just desperately wanted to know why why they wanted to get deeper back yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm banging bang on with that. I think that's I think that's that's a very good take on it. He is definitely an outsider um and not an insider. And that's probably why he was hated so much in the first place and why they yeah. pin these crimes on him. Well, let's, unless unless he actually did it, in which case, you know, fair play, killer. Let's also be honest, he's black in a predominantly white town. Mm. True well, that. Yeah, but, okay, but if he's been outside for 11 days and there's nothing wrong with him whatsoever, True that. maybe he's comfortable being an outsider. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, very interesting. Um, so that's it for the episode. I think an excellent first episode. We all agree that it was a very, very good pilot episode for the show. We're buzzing to see the next couple of episodes we're going to be releasing our content for the first three episodes within a matter of hours or days of each other so that by the time we get round to the fourth giving myself a little window yeah. uh, by the time we get round to the fourth episode uh, we'll be bang on schedule mm. but as I said at the start every single week we'll be doing something called King Corner where we throw over to Emma and for us to discuss all of the Stephen King references that are in every episode so I'm back in front of the microphone. This is good, isn't it? Boo. Welcome, everybody, to the first segment of King Corner. Yes, that is spelt with two Ks. So we've done a, a little bit of research between all of us, and, and I have worked um, on bringing the literary elements of the King canon, again, two Ks, uh, to this part of the podcast. Um, so we'll be doing this every week, talking about the Easter eggs and the references, uh, subtle or, or more overt uh, in each episode that comes along, and how that then adds to the story itself. So I'm going to start off with um, something a bit more generic. So one of the things that I think is great about this first episode is the introduction of characters um, played by actors who have also starred in other bits of the King canon. Oh, I love that. Um, mm, yeah, I mean, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, so like we've we've already mentioned Bill Skarsgård, obviously he plays Pennywise in It. Um, and he's obviously playing it in this as well. Yeah, well, we may have come <laughs> so, to that new revelation. Um, you've got Sissy Spacek, who obviously played... Uh, paid? who played Carrie in the original 1976 version. Yeah, Am I right, right in saying? Yeah, 1976. Um, but then you've actually also got some slightly more minor um, characters so far. So Melanie Linsky, who plays uh, Molly Strand, was also in a uh, Stephen King adaptation called Rose Red, which I've not seen. I've not seen. Which is quite interesting. You've also then got Frances Conroy, who played uh, Lacey's wife, who was in a recent 2017 adaptation of The Mist on TV. Uh, the Netflix series of The Mist. It, sure thing. Was it the Netflix series or was it the, the... There's two things of The Mist that I remember. There was the film, which I know Gaz hates. Um, it, he literally hates it. I quite enjoyed it. And the television series. The television series on Netflix, I think it was, I think is pretty bad. And I'm, I, I enjoyed the sort of straight-to-TV film of The Mist. And, and I like enjoying it just to annoy Gaz. 
Um, <laughs> that is all I have to say on The Mist. The funny thing about The Mist is everybody raves about the ending of The Mist. Yeah. And that was the thing that I hated more than anything else. It's funny that. But people are like, it's one of the best endings ever. I uh, can't stand it. So now that we've kind of got that bit out of the way, which I think is quite interesting, and I, I imagine that we'll probably see a little bit more of that as the series goes on, um, let's talk about the rest of our uh, Stephen King Easter eggs uh, that we see across mm, episode yummy. one. Mm. So a lot of these uh, focus around Shawshank Prison. Yeah. Mm. Um, so obviously that's uh, that film itself, fantastic, probably one of the best films of, of all time and also you a know, fantastic story from the Stephen King canon. Um, <laughs> but it is based on uh, the original short story of Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, again, which features Castle Rock. Um, so probably the first thing that we see in that episode uh, is when Dale Lacey is about to um, possibly the, commit the most elaborate and disturbing suicide I've ever come across. But the aria that he plays in the car before yeah, before he eventually throws himself off the cliff is the same one that Andy Dufresne in mm. The Shawshank Redemption plays to the inmates, yeah. which was a really yeah, nice the office, really yeah. nice bit. Yeah, that uh, and, and is excellent. It was so great. Well it's, done. It's so weird that when I was watching that, um, I was like that sounds so familiar. And then mm. I was thinking about it as it was going on. I was like, fuck, is that the one that Andy Dufresne yeah. played? Mm. And it's I love brilliant. that. It's kind of like a subtle, elegant nod to previous adaptations. And I think that's something that they're doing from this pilot episode extremely well, mm. is not overtly throwing it in your face, but using it to enhance the story mm. and not using it to go, hey, look at this Easter egg. It's like, hey, this is helping you feel something again. That sort of nostalgia element, like mm. smells and sounds. You don't necessarily recognise where it comes from, but you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's making me... Well, you know. it instigates an, an audio memory, doesn't it? 100%. Which in, which in turn makes you feel the things that you felt in that scenario. And yeah. I think it was incredibly well done. It was, it was very subtle. Um, and, you know, I was exactly the same. I didn't recognise it immediately. It took me a moment and I had to double check. But very, very well done by the mm. team. Um, the, the other Shawshank reference that we have here is one that we have sort of already mentioned. So there's that subtle moment where um, in the background you can hear the guards talking about um, Warden Norton. Uh, obviously, it takes us back to the film itself. Um, and we have already seen that reference in the trailers uh, for for Castle Rock with the image of uh, Warden Norton on the walls uh, of successive wardens of the prison. Yeah. Um, do you think that there are many people watching Castle Rock who won't recognise that reference? Uh, I think that's one of the ones that is sort of open to the general public. Yeah. I mean, Shawshank Redemption is, is if you even go on IMDb now, is revered as one of the greatest films. I mean, I don't back the IMDb rating system, but it is revered as one of the greatest films, you know, of all time. Yep. I think all of us have, would easily put it in our top 10. Mm. Um, and I think most people would... And most people probably don't even know that's a Stephen King book. Yeah, I'm serious. No. They probably don't even realise that is a Stephen King adaptation. Well, it isn't really a, a, it's a not book. Very it's, Stephen, a... it's not really Stephen King, is it? No. Really, it's not. It's not typical. No. I think it's not typical of the pulp cult, pul, uh, pop pulp culture uh, expectations of Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it's a much deeper uh, piece of work, and it's very different. Yeah, it's not like. Tim Robbins, uh, sorry, not Tim Robbins. It's not like Andy Dufresne escapes through some sort of magic. No, that's it's all happens. it's all realistic. It's real, yeah. it's ground in realism. Yeah, there is a, there is an element of like magic to it though as well, isn't there? Like, um... is that the bit where he's covered in shit? 
that allows him to not be seen by anybody so he can escape to Mexico or wherever he goes. Yeah, all right, let's move on. Well, speaking of some of the most amazing movies of all time, uh, one of my can other... I mention one other reference to Shawshank? Yes, you can. So, <clears throat> not as explicit, but if you're looking at the framing of shots, uh, the Shawshank Redemption opens with Andy Dufresne in a car... Yeah, sitting obviously in the car with the oh, music shit, playing, with the revolver, loading his gun. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's a the cold open reference. Yeah, is the exact same thing. Guy in the car. Yeah, loading guy in his the car, gun. loading his gun, music playing. Love that. Um, so yeah, there you go. Little treat for you. What a lovely little yeah, that's extra a good one, treat. That, mate. Thank you. Really like that. Wow. Um, and actually, nice to see in hindsight. I hadn't clicked that at the mm. time. Yeah. Um, talking of another great film adapted from a Stephen King uh, story uh, there is a little reference in here to the Green Mile oh yeah boy uh, so it's a very very small moment but I think uh, I would imagine oh, that yeah, all of sorry, us immediately yeah. went oh my god it's the Green Mile it's Mr Jingles Mr Jingles yeah Mr so, Jingles oh, don't breaks Mr. my heart G- oh, every time yeah. <laughs> this, this, this time Mr Jingles does not make it yeah so You've got the kid sitting in his um, weird infirmary cell, uh, and there's a mouse who comes out of the out of the wall, and he, he runs across the cell. It's very, very reminiscent of that. Mm. Um, and actually, they spent quite a while on that scene, and I thought yeah. it was a really nice moment. I did, after the mouse was caught by the mouse trap, think that the kid was going to eat it. Yeah. Anyone else? <laughs> I mean, so obviously in the green, Jesus, man. But I, I assumed that maybe he'd spent a lot of time in that cell eating mice. Yeah. And so he was like, "Oh, brilliant! Is dinner." Yes. But it wasn't to be. No. I mean, obviously in The Green Mile, you know, the, he, he heals Mr. Jingles, doesn't he? He heals him back to life. He's like, yeah. oh, Mr. Jingles. And then obviously that, that, that mouse lives for years and years and yeah, years, yeah, yeah. which is extremely interesting. I mean, here it was just like brutal. It was like dead. Mm. And then it cut back to the mouse's head. Yeah. Did they actually fucking kill a mouse to do this? Yeah, apparently they did. Jesus, man. No, of course they didn't. No, they would never do that. But it looked... Definitely did. Brutal. Didn't didn't enjoy that. I'm an animal fan. Yeah. No, they disguised a dog as a mouse and killed a dog instead. Cujo. To get past Oh, it. that's <laughs> all right. Our final, uh, but probably I think the, the most accurate Easter egg that we have here, bar a couple of points, and I will talk about this um, actually. So it's Alan Pangborn. Uh, Pangborn. <laughs> so it's Alan Pangborn. It's quite hard to say that, it actually. Is, it's a weird name. Pangborn. So we first meet him as Officer Pangborn. Uh, but predominantly across the uh, Stephen King novels that, that feature Castle Rock, he is the sheriff of Castle Rock. Mm. So you see him in uh, The Dead Zone when we uh, talk about The Strangler, which Ooh. we will talk about in uh, f- other episodes, I'm sure. Um, we also, um, he's heavily featured in Needful Things, which uh, is set right in the middle of Castle Rock. And there are some other little references to this, Um, as well as The Dark Half and a couple of other uh, short stories. But he is really the key continuous feature of Castle Rock. So bringing him in so early, I thought, was fantastically done. What's interesting, though, um, is that we haven't really seen much of his background yet. Um, no. apart from that bit of history and yeah. some of that is actually very fascinating yeah. so I hope that they do bring that up because I think that may <clears throat> give us a bit more level to to why he is who and how he is now and how yeah. he built his relationships with other people across the town Yeah, and if we're believed that this is all a shared multiverse situation they're heavily drawing on that and they're using this character 
knowing the journey he has been through as sheriff of this town and understanding mm-hmm. the horrible things that have happened there yeah. and the things that are supernatural that he can't explain mm. really adds so much weight to him Absolutely. as a character. So when he comes out of that shower and has that conversation with with Henry, not in that way, John, I don't know what you're thinking, <laughs> late, night, late night movies, um, but... but it re- you buy it like so as someone like I, I you know I've I've watched a lot of the adaptations and mm. read some of the books Em and just knowing him as a character and what he's been through makes his character fascinating for me Definitely. and I hope because for the casual viewer who doesn't really buy into Stephen King or hasn't seen these old adaptations or read the books they're using flashbacks extremely well at the moment mm. um I would totally buy into a Pangborn episode. Obviously, this episode is very Henry specific. Yeah. I would buy, you know, I'm not a massive fan of bottle episodes in general, but I would totally, with this show, buy into some bottle episodes. Mm. Yeah. I would buy into a Pangborn bottle episode. I would buy into a Molly, perhaps, episode because she no. seems interested. I mean, I know Johnny would like her, but... I would buy into that. I'd also buy into like a Sissy Spacek bottle episode. I would mm. buy into some mm. of these specific character episodes, uh, even The Warden to an extent, because I think that's an interesting story that could be explored. So let's have some of that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Len, I think you're completely right in saying that if you know even some, you know, little tidbits about Pangborn's background, uh, because he is such a central character in this town, uh, that makes you feel entirely more invested in seeing where his story is taking him. And I think it was really well done. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, Sheriff or Officer Pangborn has been played by uh, two actors from other podcasts or, or oh, shows shit. that we cover. I know, I know one. I know one that's John's favourite favourite guy one. ever. Ed Harris. Ed bloody Harris. Well, there you go. Yeah, who knew? So how good is that? Ed Harris, Man in Black in Westworld. If you haven't seen Westworld, go check it out. Listen to our podcast, The Hosts of Westworld. Um, he's awesome as mm-hmm. an actor. I love him. I absolutely love him. He is a guy like uh, Pangborn, who has that gravelly voice. Yeah. Who yes, has that very much who so. has that gravitas when he speaks. <laughs> That's it for this episode in terms of uh, King Corner. Nice. There's nothing unless I've missed anything no. that anyone else picks up on. I think we've added some into there that I hadn't noticed. John with a very good one in terms of scene composition yeah, and M, thank you for the historical knowledge on Pangborn. Most welcome. Thanks for that, M. I have to say we have Theory Corner with Westworld and I am very excited to have King Corner with Castle Rock. I think just going through those Easter eggs and actually just having a discussion about it makes you realise how much thought has gone into this show just from the pilot already. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to us. We are Castle Rock Critical. Um, we are a new podcast covering the show. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe uh, to our content. It's very simple. There's a button on the website if you're listening via our website. Big buttons. Or iTunes or any other podcast app or even Spotify. Just subscribe and then every uh, every single week the episode will be downloaded to your phone. If you want to listen to it, hey do. If you're still waiting for the episode uh, to, to see the episode and then you want to listen to us, then that's absolutely fine. Um, we are part of a larger growing podcast network called Fan Critical. We cover major event movies and other shows like The Walking Dead, Stranger Things, Black Mirror, Game of Thrones. We just finished our Westworld coverage and now we're moving on to Castle Rock. If you want to hear any of our other stuff, uh, please search Fan Critical on any 
podcast app as well or Spotify. There you will find a host of movies, all of our Westworld coverage as well, as well as all our back catalogue focusing on Walking Dead and all the other shows I just mentioned. Um, the host of Westworld is the specific Westworld podcast. So if you're just interested in Westworld or you're catching up on that or you want a perspective on Westworld which is a bit I'm going to say balanced because I think we are a very balanced podcast on Westworld Mm. go check that out it's a very divisive show for its second season and if you have seen it I think our podcast is maybe a good way to 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 think about the show because we have a really good and and funny frank discussion on it um I want to thank the guys for being with me today I want to thank John cheers mate Emma you're welcome. And I want to thank Gaz. You're very welcome. Cheers. Thanks very much. And uh, I've been your host, Len. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, it's uh, Instagram is at fan underscore critical. Twitter is fan critical pod. And we're on Facebook too. Um, we don't use Facebook that much, but hey, it's still there until the fake news issues go away. That is true. Yeah, yeah it's it's dying a death, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay on there until we don't need to. But I want to say thanks to everyone for being with us for this initial episode of Castle Rock Critical. Uh, we're going to be back very, very soon in the next day or so mm. with the second episode because we're recording these pretty much. We're watching an episode, recording a podcast, watching an episode, recording the next podcast. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing it all as a sort of marathon as a team. So um, the first three episodes, like Hulu's decision to stream all three at once, will be very Ooh. quick fire. Thanks for that, Hulu. You've given us a lot of work over a very busy weekend. I want to say thanks to everyone once again. And uh, let's all uh, see you all in the second episode, guys. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Laters, potatoes.